25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. Play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to. They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the West right tight. That's left. 372 Y sticks. He's The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. Yo, what up? Back on the show, continuing along, hour number two on this Tuesday. Just getting underway in five minutes. Count them, one, two, three, four, five. Five minutes scheduled to chat with Peter Burns of the SEC Network and ESPN. Y'all can follow him on Twitter, at Peter Burns ESPN. Roger has a number. He's going to give him one ringy-dingy on his cellular device on the Divinity Equipment phone line, and we'll chat it up with him. I thought about Peter last week when we were at Mossy Oak Golf Club there last Friday in West Point, chatting it up with the folks from Blue Delta Jeans as they announced they are now the official jeans of the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Big announcement. And so coming up in about five minutes, we'll talk with Peter. In the meantime, a heads up, you can be a part of the show. Several different ways for you to do that. You can call me on the Divini phone, which is 995-1059. There's a number, 995-1059. Or shoot me a text on the text line, 885-ESPN, 885-ESPN. Let's see, Patrick sent me a picture of two Tennessee football players jumping up in the air, doing the chest bump, celebrating, and with the caption that says, Tennessee's like, we won the coin toss. <laughs> they have not had a lot to celebrate, for sure. They have not had a lot to uh, celebrate. How about this? Fluffy, who is a big fan of the show and a big part of the show, texts the show every day is looking forward to uh, Peter coming on the show because he says that uh, Peter Burns is his favorite tweeter on game day mornings. So he's active on Twitter on game day, huh? Okay. I got you. I got you. I'll have to, go, I'll have to check that out. Uh, you know, game days pop up for me. I don't do a very good job of keeping up with what's going on on social media. I send some stuff out, but I don't do a whole lot of reading on game day. Uh, I feel like I'm hoofing it all over the place. And Jason on Twitter, thank you for your tweet. He says, uh, Matt, the homecoming queen is a star. I remember her on the news. Be careful, brother. Yeah, that's right. She was a news anchor, reporter. Very much enjoyed it. I tell you, that is a tough life um, or, or schedule. Not life, but tough schedule for someone if you're going to have kids. You think about the the local TV news thing, you're talking, um, you know, go to work at 2, get off work at 11 pretty much throughout the week. Michael from Hazelhurst, which SEC coach do you think will be fired first? Ole Miss, Arkansas, or Tennessee? You know, right now I think it's a close race between uh, Arkansas and Tennessee. 
But uh, just, I don't know, it's something about it over there at um, in Knoxville seems a little stinkier right now. <laughs> it's just the truth of it. All right, let's do it right now. Divinity Equipment phone. Divinity Equipment in Madison and in Jackson, your Kubota dealer, the oldest Kubota dealer in the United States of America. They've been doing it better longer than anyone else at Divinity Equipment right here at home in Madison and in Jackson. And on the phone, our friend and our favorite uh, favorite texter, Fluffy's favorite tweeter on game day, Peter Burns of the SEC Network and ESPN. Peter, welcome to the show. I thought about you last week. Friday, I got to broadcast the show from Mossy Oak Golf Club in Westport. Oh, you lucky <laughs> bastard. How, although, I, I was going to say, I, I much rather do it in the spring yeah. and when it's about uh, you know 70 degrees. But you know what? A, uh, what do they say? The saying is a uh, bad day on the golf course is better than a uh, good day at the office. So yeah. uh, you got to combine both of them, man. That's, that's pretty good. And by the way, did you say I'm Fluffy's favorite tweeter? Is okay. That, is that... We have a texter. Well, details yes. Okay. Details are, Peter, we have a texter on the show who texts the show every day named Fluffy Bottoms. He's on the all-name team, Fluffy Bottoms. And <laughs> he said, Peter Burns is my favorite tweeter on game day mornings. And so technically, yes, then we can say with confidence, you are Fluffy's favorite tweeter. <laughs> I just want to make sure I'm putting that right down because, I, you know, just in case if they get rid of me tomorrow at the SEC Network, I got my resume filled out. I'll be like, listen, clearly Fluffy Bottoms, um, you know, star of the Matt Wyatt show and text all the time. He said I'm the favorite tweeter, so I think you should hire me. So, yeah. uh, no, man, that's, that's, that's fun. Listen, social media is fun, right? Yeah, like, we just right. have a good time. And, I mean, that's the beauty about what we get a chance to do is, you know, we get to talk ball. But what I love about social media is that a lot of fans get the opportunity to have you know, their thoughts out there as well, too. Sometimes fan bases take it a little too far, i.e. Tennessee and that whole coaching search situation. But uh, for the most part, it's always great to have a conversation with people, right? It is. It is a lot of fun. And, and Peter, you know, I right before you came on, I got a text. And you don't always, like, want, want you to come on and we go negative. But I'm curious. You mentioned, you know, the Tennessee search. Somebody asked me, he said, who's most likely to have a firing or, you know, uh, of their coach Anytime soon, Arkansas, Tennessee, Ole Miss. I said, you know, it seems like a close running between Arkansas, Tennessee, but the thing at Tennessee still feels volatile, if I, or volatile, however you say that to me. Do you agree? It still feels like it's bubbling a little bit? Yeah, a little bit, but, you know, here's the deal, right? Like I saw after the just absolutely horrific loss to Georgia State, I looked at the stands and I saw 90,000 people in Neyland. They were being loud as hell. Mm -hmm. You know, and did I see a team that competed or a team that quit? Like Bobby Petrino's teams at Louisville flat out quit on him, right? Right. Um, you know, and at the same point, so did to a certain extent some of, um, you know, some of Butch, some of Butch Jones's teams quit on him back in the day. I, I never got that out of Jeremy Pruitt's team. Now, were they, poorly coached yeah you could argue that especially defensively i mean i don't know why jim cheney the offensive coordinator on fourth and one is trying to run a, a end around right um but i saw effort and again i i still go back and look at it as a volatile situation because how much that fan base and that program was kicked in the mud during the whole debacle that was the coaching search sure peter burns on your radio right now y'all follow him on twitter if you don't already he's fluffy's favorite tweeter at peter yeah. burns espn uh, what do you think about Kylan Hill 
at a running back at State so far, the start he's gotten off to. He's fun to watch, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, you go back to last year, right? Remember when he jumped on the scene, we're like, holy hell, this guy, like you talk Bama running backs, and you talk Fournette and stuff like that, and you're like, this Kylan Hill is a stud. And the question that we all had is, after about week three, week four, what happened? Where'd he go? Right. Why, why was this not consistent? And, you know, I think that's why we looked at it. We wanted him to be 100% this year um, because, you know, that was a big part, that if you can get somebody to establish a run, that's only going to make it easier for guys like Tommy Stevens once they get healthier, Matt. You know it. You break down film as good as anybody. You get a good running game that's going to help, you know, relax a little people and you can pass the ball. So, um, you know, to me, I, I want to see what he can do. And now this is where I throw it back to you. Where did he go last year? You know, what, what was the situation that a lot of people aren't aware of outside of this Mississippi footprint about why was he such a factor early in the season and not late in the season? Yeah, and I think um, it, it sounds like a simple coach-speak answer, but I really think this is legit, Peter. Number one, he did get a little banged up. He spent some a couple of games where he didn't really play much with hamstring stuff. But on top of that, they were not effective throwing the ball consistently, right? So as the mm-hmm. season got on and you're facing these million-dollar defensive coordinators in the SEC, they started man-coveraging everything and loading the box saying, hey, look, you got to beat us throwing right. the ball. We're not letting number eight run the ball. We're not." And, and so he saw a, just a, a, a different look. And, and I think that's a huge reason why, yeah, you wanted to be balanced on offense, but when we were talking about Tommy Stevens this this offseason and his ability to throw the ball, Peter, what I said is the guy who ought to be the most thankful for that is Kylan Hill because if Tommy's healthy, sure, he's not going to see eight-man box every week. You know what I'm saying? Think about Darius Geis and Leonard Fournette, right? I right. mean, you know, right. both of those guys tweeted the last week like, oh, my God, can you imagine the offense and like the numbers I could have put up if people actually respected our pass mm-hmm. game back Absolutely. in the day? I mean – Think about what Geist and Fournette were numbers they were putting up when basically it was eight in the box when when LSU was trying to outbama everybody and that that just didn't didn't work. So um, again, I, I think you know I, I think Joe tried to turn Fitz into a lore of a passer and it just didn't work and that was one of the miscalculations that you know worked you know worked against State last year and and hopefully Stevens is back healthy quickly um, and it also helps to a certain extent that you know. The wide receivers have to help. I, I still, in like in this butterfly effect world, I would have loved to have known what would have happened to the Mississippi State season had Osiris Mitchell caught that pass against Florida last year. Sure. Yeah. You know? I mean, that, that that's one of the great what-ifs that both Florida took off after that, and I felt like it just it, it kind of killed the vibe over Davis Wade whenever you had you know Mullen making his return. If that cat if that pass this cat caught oh my goodness i i would have loved to see what happens in that whole season yeah it, it certainly and there i i think no question you win that game if you catch that pass with the defense right. they had and then then everything looks and feels a lot different peter burns on your radio uh right now if if we look up in a couple of weeks peter you know, so he had 195 in the opener, and then he had 127 last week. And if Kylan is healthy the next – and let's just say he goes for – I don't know. He had 200 last year against Kansas State. What if he has, let's say, 150 against KSU and then another 100 against Kentucky in week four? Now is it all of a sudden – let's jump on the hype train with, Ky, with Kylan? Well, I think what it is is it, you need to have those moments. 
You know, I mean, you need you need to have a like Joe Burrow third and seventeen. Yeah, right. Him passing it that that's one of those moments that are like wow, Sports Center shows over and over. So not only does Kyler need to continue to put up the numbers to be kind of you know caught up, and and maybe we're not talking Heisman, but just as far as you know the love that he should deserve to get. Right. But you also have to have that performance against an opponent that everyone tunes in like, holy crap, are you watching this happen? Sure. You know, and, and whether it be against LSU or whether it be against Alabama, you need to have one of those, you know, hold my trophy, you know, hold, I'm going to hold your trophy or you can, and I'm going to kiss your girlfriend at the same time, <laughs> right? Like, it's just, I want to make sure you know that this is my game and I took it over. And while we saw that against K-State last year, when people figured out this offense, he didn't have that opportunity. So again, that that's why Stevens needs to get back 100 percent healthy, and those wide receivers need to continue to help. Sure, Peter Burns on your radio right now. So you mentioned Joe Burrow, and Week One he throws five touchdowns. Is that passes. crazy to see? By the way, Matt, I mean, are you just blown away that LSU actually has some type of passing offense? It's it's nuts to me. I mean, they're on their own four yard line against Texas. Okay, trailing three to nothing, coming off their own four yard line, and they're in empty. Peter, they didn't have a single running back on the field. I, I, I mean, I'm like, what world is this? I, I know what world it is. It was the world that I lived from like 2005 to 2013 when I'd play on my Xbox or PlayStation <laughs> NCAA football. Because that's exactly what I would do. It'd be like, man, if we only played like this, LSU would be great. And I go back and look at it. Obviously, the third and seven. Uh, the third and 17 play where they didn't run a traditional, you know, less miles draw or screen that they went to pass it down the field. It was the entire game. You know, I mean, I asked, in, you know, I asked Coach O about that on my show on Monday and he says, listen, I went to Ensminger and said, let's run our four minute offense and Ensminger quickly shut me down and says, no, we're going to pass the ball. We're going to score again. And there's a great clip floating around on Twitter. I'm sure Fluffy Bottoms has seen it already. Um, where. <laughs> It shows Joe Brady right next to Ensminger in the press box going, they can't effing stop us. Mm. And I'm like, guess what? They didn't. I mean, three straight drives after Texas got the ball and scored, LSU goes 75 yards to the house. You can't stop us. And that changes a little bit of, honestly, a little bit of the, you know, equation or the calculus when it comes to what the SEC West is going to look like this year. Well, and and we'll get back to Burrow, but as you talk right there, you're talking about what you saw from the coaches in the booth. I watched the film. I, I'm going to pop a video out there this afternoon uh, This afternoon on my YouTube channel. It's like a first-half look because I think all the attention is going to what LSU did in the second half, but they did a lot of great stuff in the first half that helped them win the game. And one thing jumps out to me, Peter. I remember a couple of years ago, when Dan Mullen and Mississippi State ran Ed Ogeron out of Starkville in that ball game, State mm-hmm. and Fitz, and, and the whole country was going, oh, boy, look how outcoached this LSU staff is tonight in that particular game. Mm-hmm. I got news for you. Offensively and defensively, LSU outcoached uh, Texas in that ball game the other night. And has Ed? O- the question is, has Ed Ogeron flipped that script? Yeah, and, and here's the deal. I think Ed Ogeron, Matt, as you astutely pointed out, I think Ogeron wanted to flip this script back in 2016, right? Remember there was this whole high-stakes poker game about the opening at LSU. Jimbo Fisher wanted $75 million and LSU didn't have the money to give to him. They flirted with that for a couple of years. Then they flirted with Tom Herman, 
And ultimately, I think what happened was Ocheron was in the running for that, as well was Lane Kiffin. I'm a firm believer that Lane Kiffin was going to go from Alabama's OC to Ogeron's OC at LSU. Well, guess what? FAU came together. He ended up getting that that job. And so all of a sudden, Ogeron, who wanted to go to more of this offense in 2015, you know, 2016 when he first took over, He's scrambling to find an OC late into the game because he thought he had Kiffin. So he, he says, all right, who's the best guy out there? Matt Canada? Sure. I don't know much about him, but let's hire him. Well, Canada and, and, and Ogeron are two headstrong guys. Is oil and water. It doesn't work out. So that, that, that kills that year. The following year, the Berg Ensminger in, and Steve's a, a trusted guy, but he didn't have kind of that 2019 version of offense. So then they brought in Joe Brady, and that's the difference maker right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I still don't think, here's the deal, Matt, I don't know how you believe it. I still don't think LSU is right there with Alabama, Georgia. I think the gap has closed, but there was enough of deficiencies on the defensive side that I saw against a talented Ellinger and Texas squad that makes me think it's not, a, it's not sitting here going, oh, LSU is the new team to beat. No, I still think they're the third best team in the SEC. It's just that gap got a little bit tighter. Now. Sure. Peter Burns on your radio. Peter, what I think on that note is, you, you know, will Alabama and, and the Georgias, will they line up and rush four and hit Joe Burrow? If they do, then they're going to have success. But if they don't, I think Burrow and those receivers are going to make some plays and makes those games interesting. And with that said, that's kind of my next question for you is, Given the landscape of the SEC, a lot this is sports and it is about entertainment. And this Joe Burrow story, it, this is exactly what you and everybody at the SEC Network need right now, isn't it? I mean, do you need this story? <laughs> well, I'll just tell you, as a Baton Rouge kid, uh, absolutely need that. Has been left at that left at the altar of uh, you know, hey, the offense is going to look different for about a decade now. <laughs> you know, right. and that has changed. But yeah, I got to be honest with you, Matt, and I've said it on my radio show. I think Alabama and Georgia are seeing completely boring football teams this year. Right. And, and that is the ultimate sign of success, right? Where you're so good that I'm like, there's nothing that really intrigues me about your team. And, and again, that, that to me, Alabama is going to be great. We're not going to really see them be less than a probably 20 point favorite, maybe until they play state or maybe they until hell, it might be to the LSU game. Um, but to me, Georgia and Alabama are boring teams. The teams that are more in- interesting to me are State. It's Rich Rodriguez trying to figure out this offense, and Mike McIntyre has Ole Miss looking better on defense. I mean, you know, what Tennessee is doing. Those, to me, are the better intriguing storylines than, than what Georgia and Alabama are doing right now, just simply because I think that they're that solid of a team. Sure. Uh, Peter, that, um, that idea – of LSU stepping in there and competing. It's we're, we're circling Joe Burrow as a huge reason what they're doing on offense. And I'm looking at Felipe Franks at Florida. You know, he's playing better. You look at what he did this past weekend. Of course, it's UT Martin. But in the preseason, yeah. in the preseason, you and I remember at SEC Media Days, a lot of people were asking me in those interview things, you know, who are the guys that are going to step into that top-tier category with Jake Fromm and Tua and this, the conversations always revolved around: Would Joe Burrow or Felipe Franks do it? Yeah. Are, are we seeing a thing where Burrow is now in that top tier, even though Franks is the one with all the physical tools? Is that what we're seeing? Yeah, I, 
Yeah, because I think it's the attitude, right? I think that it's the attitude that Joe Burrow has. And it's kind of that, like, you know, I mean, go back to watching Karate Kid back in the day. Like, Burrow reminds me of a guy that would have been on Cobra Kai. Like, he just enjoys it, right? Like, he he did the Queens wave to the Texas fans, and he kind of has that, huh, whatever, like, I don't care mentality. I think for Felipe, Felipe had that, but it almost was a, it, it almost was a negative aspect mm-hmm. of him. And all season long, we were told, hey, you know, I, Felipe told me that to his face. He's like, hey, man, I've changed. You know, I'm a different quarterback. I know I need to be a leader. And then week one, I see him acting not that way, you know, in the mm-hmm. Miami game. And so I think Felipe actually has better, more tools. And, and frankly, I think that Mel- Mullen's a better quarterback coach than anything that LSU has. But, it's about a fit overall. Burrow fits LSU, and I still think for Felipe, there's going to be up and down games. Like a like A and M, Florida, and Auburn are almost identical teams to me. And the fact that I think that they're talented enough to win on any given Sunday, and I wouldn't put it past them to blow a game that they should win. Is that fair to say? Absolutely, it's fair. No, and I think I'm in lockstep with you. Hey, Peter. It's amazing how fast 20 minutes can go by when I have you on here and we get to talk <laughs> football, golf, and the line that on the show of the month is Joe looks like a guy who would have been on Cobra Kai. Appreciate you, man. Hey, let's do it every week, man. I always enjoy talking ball with you. Let's do it. Absolutely. We'll do it every week. Right. Thank you. All right. See you, bud. Thanks. See you. That's Peter Burns of the SEC Network. Joe Burrow looks like a guy who would have been on Cobra Kai. Karate Kid. I love that so much. Because it's true. It's true. Hey, Tua, sweep the leg. Hour two rolling along. Stick around. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. Let me tell you a real uh, funny story real quick. Well, I say real funny, just a, a cute story, Roger. So uh, the previous interview there with Peter Burns, I was uh, streaming that live on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Radio Wyatt. One of my former teammates, an offensive lineman from Winfield, Alabama, named Stony Price, commented, and he was kind of joking, Stoney and I played together. He was an offensive lineman, and I was quarterback. And it almost became a running joke how many times during a game when we would call the play in the huddle, and we're going line of scrimmage, you know, and Stoney's getting the play call, and he's got to go out here and block some defensive lineman from, you know, Auburn. And how many times we'd get to the line, and just before he'd get down in his stance, he'd lean over to me. He was the guard. I was, and He'd lean over to me and go, Hey, what's the count on? Hey, what's the count? And that meant, what is the snap count? He'd get everything in the play call in the huddle. Everything. Formation, protection, block, run play, whatever. But that last little thing you'd say in the huddle, the last little thing you would say is, 
on one, on one, let's go. And then, you know, or on two, on two, huh, and everybody clap. You know, they got it. So the last thing you call in the huddle is a snap count. You know, so split right, some kind of motion in there, you know, split right, toy, you know, 628, waggle. On two, on two. Ready? Break. And he'd get everything but the on two. <laughs> and we'd get to the line, and over and over, he'd lean over and say, hey, what's the count? What's it on? It's on two. It's on two. He ran out of space, man. And so on Facebook, I hadn't seen Stoney in 20 years. But, you know, we kind of keep up on social media on Facebook. So he commented on the live video stream of my interview with Peter Burns and just simply wrote, Hey, Matt, what's the snap on? <laughs> and I commented back and said, it's on one, Stoney. One. He probably knew all along. <laughs> yeah, so it was a stalling technique. You think that's what it was? Yeah, I think so. He, he was just stalling. Pulling your chain a little bit. Right. All right. Hey, look, if you're listening and you want to be a part of the show, text me, 885-ESPN, or Give me a call on the Divinity Equipment phone line. Divinity Equipment in Madison and in Jackson, 995-1059. Love to hear from you. Whatever you want to talk about is fine with me. 601 number, 995-1059. Jonathan says on the text line, Matt, I see you got some pull over there at Blue Delta Jeans now. See if they can get rid of the last zero on their price. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't say nothing during your remote over there. Yeah, they're expensive. I have Starting one pair. At $500. Let's see. Those, those things better make me look like one of the BGs walking in that video, man. <laughs> You're dating yourself, Roger. I know. <laughs> he said the BGs. I know exactly what you're talking about, too. <laughs> oh. they, they better fit real good. <laughs> That's good. Tim on the text line says, uh, even though they lost it on defense, you never saw a Mullen team score 72 points like Ensminger did. No. No, you didn't. 72 points. They piled it up, didn't they? The line of the day, the line of the week, the line of the month was from Peter when he said that Joe Burrow looks like somebody who would be on Cobra Kai. <laughs> from I thought Karate it was Kid. It. Peter Burns or Fluffy Bottom's favorite tweeter. That's, that's a, a good, good one, one, too. Yeah, that's runner-up. Peter is Fluffy's favorite tweeter. I wouldn't put it past him to add it to his Twitter description. <laughs> <laughs> he may put it in profile there. there. Yeah. Look, they really got excited about that on Twitter, too. Guys who listen to the show. Um, the Real C. Collins, who always gives Chris Brooks a hard time. He tweeted at all of us, including Peter, and Fluffy Bottoms, who on Twitter is at Bottoms Fluffy. <laughs> Somebody had the other one. Who knew? <laughs> right. He tweeted and said, Peter is a man of the peoples. Which people? I don't know. The man of them, nonetheless. That was his tweet. And then uh, Real C followed it up and said easy answer peter and, and radio white you're gonna name your kid uh joe or philippe <laughs> or felipe <laughs> about joe felipe yeah it depends jose felipe there we go there you go that's a good one a little international flair 
Um, he started it off by saying that, um, well, okay, so he sent me an example of something that Peter tweeted or, or tweets on game day, stuff like this. People wanted Miami to be back in 2018. They weren't. People want Texas to be back in 2019. They are close. LSU defensive coordinator Dave Aranda finally has an offense on the other side in which he doesn't have to be conservative, and I think that's the key to this game. And it is, if you think about it, right? Didn't LSU start off on Miami? Yeah, pretty good reference there. Pretty good reference. Hey, this was brought up earlier in the show. This is a fact, okay? It is confirmed. What do you... <laughs> What do y'all think about this? <clears throat> LSU's victory on the road against Texas was without the benefit of an air-conditioned visitor's locker room. So Ed Ogeron has confirmed it to reporters that in the 45-38 to 38 win... What does it say here? It says it wasn't great, but it was better. At least we had air in there at Louisiana Tech. <laughs> the temperature at kickoff was upwards of 95 degrees. Several LSU players had to leave the game due to cramping and other injuries. Texas Athletics Director Chris Del Conte issued a statement following his comments saying it was the, quote, first we've heard of any issues in that area. We provide one of the best visitor setups available and are proud of the efforts we put forth in hosting our guests. Bull crap. And besides, who cares if the visitors have AC or not? I'm serious. Since when and from where does it matter or does anyone care if the visiting locker room has air conditioning? Since when? I'll be honest with you. I've played in games that were brutally hot. Brutally hot. And when you come in from halftime and you have finally kind of at the end of the second quarter, you sort of been conditioned to the heat out there. Kind of the last thing you want to do is when you're sopping wet with sweat is go sit in a cold locker room for 20 minutes. You know what I'm saying? Like you've been outside mowing, push mowing. Roger, you still use a push mower? I do. <laughs> if I could push the little guy any faster, I do. And you get out there and you're just wringing wet with sweat. And then you step inside the house wringing wet with sweat. Am and I that, supposed to do that? And that cold air hits you. <laughs> you know what I do? I go back outside. Once you get used to that heat, who wants to go in there when it's cold? <laughs> so who cares? By the way, just for reference, last week, or maybe even over the weekend. I think it was about Saturday night or Sunday. Bill Martin, the sports information director for Mississippi State football, tweeted a list of the highest temperature football games in Mississippi State history over the last like 50 years or something, or 30 years or whatever it is. And like two or three of the hottest ever I started and played in. 97 against Memphis, 98 against uh, Oklahoma State. 
and the hottest ever, 1998 against Vandy. I started all three of those games. Melted. Stick around. We'll wrap it up next in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Knock him out, John. Whoa! This Thanksgiving, man. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. Back on the show. Yes, we are. Rolling along in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go! With the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. Here on the show, I stay connected to you around the clock because of C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi, C Spire, customer-inspired. I have an iPhone 8 Plus from C Spire. I don't put a cover on it. I like it the way it is. And with C Spire, I'm connected. So I tweet and post and upload and stream on Twitter and Facebook Live and on and on and on, Instagram around the clock because of C Spire. I stay connected to you, and I really appreciate them. You should, too. Don't forget, go to my website, mattwyattmedia.com. Go to the events page and learn how you can join me for dinner coming to a city near you. Join me for dinner, and we'll talk football, and we're going to watch film together. Yeah, it'd be like being in the coach's room. Let's do it. So, again, mattwyattmedia.com. Go to the events page. Coming to Jackson at Char Restaurant on October 3rd. Coming to Vicksburg in just a few days, September 19th. See y'all then. Okay. All right. The, uh, t- the text of the day, Roger, goes to Jonathan. You see what Jonathan texts me? Give him something we can say on uh-huh, It is. He said... Uh, he said, I just had the best laugh at you. He said, not only can you not tell what Coach O says, you're having tro- problems reading the transcript. We're going to need to win on the road, man. This, this was a good for our team. Obviously, I can say it's good because we won the game, but, you know, there was some adversity that hit. Uh, that crowd got loud. Uh, that team kept on battling. We had to battle. We're going to look at the tape, see see who's battling in key situations. We had to make plays. Uh, we made plays on offense. We didn't make many plays on defense tonight. Apparently, I've been down to Louisiana, and if I understood every word. <laughs> <laughs> I understood it fine. I watch Swamp People without the subtitles. boy. <laughs> boy. All right, uh, Divinity Equipment Phone, Terrell on the Divinity Phone. What's up, Terrell? Uh, actually, Trail, like Trail Mix. Okay, Trail. Okay, That's my gotcha. phone, Trail. I, I misspelled it on there. No problem. Oh, it's, uh, it's okay. Uh Yes, Matt, I'm listening to you talk about uh, locker room, and uh, I'm not sure if you caught Mike Leach on game day Saturday. <laughs> and <laughs> maybe you have. I have, and, yeah. uh, Okay, so you know about the whole Mississippi State locker room. And he's exactly right. Now, there are some people, uh, Trell, that are saying, oh, it wasn't that bad and all this kind of stuff. Look, when Mike Leach was the coach at Kentucky in the 90s, um, I know okay. for I know I played against him twice. Um, he was coaching at Kentucky in '97 when they came to Starkville, and then again in '99. And both the home and visitors' locker rooms in those years were in that M Club build, building that's still standing there, underneath the big scoreboard in the South End. 
And the look, okay. here's the thing about it, Trell. In the home locker room wasn't that much better than what he described. I'm being honest. I, in the nineties, oh, wow. in the nineties at state, our home locker room was just just on the other side of the building from the visitor locker room that he's describing. In our home locker rooms, it's just a room with that's kind of nothing special about it, with just lockers in it, basically. You know, and they were talking about air conditioning. I don't know, remember if we had air conditioning or not. You know, and <laughs> and so we had lockers and we did have a bathroom with showers, but they were small and whatever. Look, so I'm not surprised at all that on the other side of the wall <laughs> where the visiting locker room used to be, he say I, I loved it when he said that, you know, he talked about the toilets and the two rolls of toilet paper. I think he's exaggerating. There were partitions around the toilets. They didn't expect people to sit on the toilet in the middle of the locker room with everybody looking at them, okay? But when he said there were no lockers, I guarantee you there were no lockers in there. He said he counted 32 nails in the wall. I totally believe that. Right. <laughs> I totally believe it. <clears throat> and you know what the funny thing about that whole statement was? What's that? At the end, he said he actually liked it. <laughs> he said it was a stroke of genius. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Exactly. We're, we're not exactly. it's not our job to make you comfortable. Your job is to you know, play and go home and be comfortable. We're not here to make you comfortable. You're the visitor, you know? And here's the thing, Trell. The visiting locker room was in that same room that he's describing up to about three mm -hmm. about three years ago. <laughs> That's the truth. Oh, really? Yes. When they oh built they built the new north end zone at Mississippi State and got it finished in 2014. The first year they opened it in 2014, the home locker room was in the new north end zone. But only like in the last couple of years did they open up the visiting locker room in the north end zone. Up until then, it was still down there in the south end in that old M-Club building. So, you know, I'm, oh, sure, I'm sure it was a little better, though. Well, a friend of mine, he played at Mississippi State, Justin Jenkins. Oh, yeah, great and, guy. Uh, great guy. Yeah. I'm going to have to talk. I'm going to have to uh, <laughs> get some more detail about those experiences in the locker room. Yeah, see what he tells you about it. Hey, and thanks for calling, Trell. Call me anytime. All right. All right. All right. Enjoy the show. Thank you. All right. Thank you. I mean, and look, LSU's locker room, visiting locker room, it, the years that I played, it, he's right. Uh, Mike Leach described that one, the one at LSU, as. There are these fizzing, hissing pipes above your head in the locker room. They are. Smells. I'm not joking you when I say that every year we went to Arkansas, we played in Little Rock against Arkansas, and the air quotes here, visitor's locker room, there's no room. You're not in a room. They walk you through a tunnel, and you take a left up under the stands, and you're sitting up under the stadium out in the concrete. They, they, I mean, your managers got there and they would put up these big, you know, like a, it's almost like a light stand and, and hook sheets and stuff to it to give you a little privacy. You're just in the out in the open air, basically up under the stadium in the concrete. That's where you got dressed playing SEC football in Little Rock. To this day, it's that way in Little Rock. And, and like, all you'd be sitting there in Little Rock at halftime getting your pointers. And something dripping on your head, you look up, all in the world it is, somebody spilled their beer about 50 rows up. It's dripping on your head. Uh. Yeah. 
I mean, that's so this whole thing about visiting locker rooms only now, only recently has it become faux. Wait, not faux. Has it become in a vogue? Faux pas. Oh, okay. And I'm trying to say in. Only now, recently, has it become in vogue to have, you know, nice places to impress your visitors. <laughs> that was never something. How about anyway. Alabama? Yeah, the visiting locker room at Alabama, the years that I played, um, again, it was just What's a. What did it say above the door? Do you remember? No, I don't remember. The fail room. Is that what it said? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we didn't fail in there. Let's see. We. Well, I guess we lost in there in 99. 97, we went in there and ran them out. Speaking of that that era, here we go. Good old day. Glory days. We need that uh, Bruce Springsteen song playing. When I get in this mode on the radio, Roger, called, you know, Glory Days. Okay. But um, on the, on the button. <laughs> here we go. All right, but I found the tweet from Bill Martin. The hottest Davis Wade Stadium kickoff temperatures since 1990. 92 degrees against Tennessee in 90. 92 degrees against Tulane in 91. 92 versus Memphis in 97. I started that game. We won it only because of our defense, and Brian Hazel was a great kicker. 92 at kickoff in 1999 against Oklahoma State. I started that game. We won it. Um, Somebody told me they're friends with an Oklahoma State player who played in that game who said that to this day they all talk about how hot that experience was for them because they're not used to it. It was one of the most humid days I've ever experienced. Um, 92 degrees against Alcorn in 2013. 2016 versus South Carolina, it was 93 at kickoff. This past Saturday against Southern Miss, it was 94 at kickoff. That's the second hottest kickoff temperature since 1990. And the number one hottest kickoff temperature since 1990, 98 degrees in 1998. On September the 5th versus Vandy. I started that game. If you remember, that was the season opener in 1998 of our Western Division Championship year. And I started the season to start. I was a starter for the first three games and then got benched. And uh, Wayne Madkin took over and I guess game four maybe. But it seems like he took over about halfway through game three. And then as a freshman played us right on into the SEC championship game in that 98 season. But in that Vandy game, it was 98 degrees at kickoff. Our defense was phenomenal. We really overwhelmed Vandy. We were in a different class than they were. And um, I think I started the game, but I think four quarterbacks saw action in the game. Me, Rob Morgan, um, you'll remember Kelvin Love, who eventually transitioned to receiver, became a great receiver for us. But he played quarterback some in that game. Because he had played quarterback at Cahoma Community College, where he had been recruited from. And then the fourth guy in the game, that particular season opener against Vanderbilt, was Wayne Madkin. That was your first look ever at Wayne Madkin in a state uniform on the field. Was that particular game the hottest game, the hottest kickoff temperature ever in Starkville? Pretty cool. All right, that wraps it up on a Tuesday. Thanks for all the texts and the calls. We'll do it again tomorrow in the Farm Bureau studio. I'm Matt. He's Roger. We'll see y'all then. See ya.